now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Thank you, thank you, Johnny. And here is your host of Let the Sawdust Fly, Peter Woods. Peter, Rhode Island, they don't have any wood in Rhode Island, do they? No, as far as, far as I always thought, no, they were kind of on the smaller side, and I thought there would never be logging in Rhode Island. And I got to meet a couple of guys in Washington when we had that fly-in and uh, start talking to them. I thought these guys would be great to have on to talk about it so people could get a little understanding of it. Uh, folks, once again, I want to thank everybody willing to take time and listen here on a beautiful Wednesday and where we can have a nice time and learn about the timber industry a little bit. So, Actually, it's a beautiful Tuesday. We moved you from Wednesday, remember? <laughs> Oh, they don't know that. Nobody knows that. It's Wednesday. But okay, they don't Wednesday. know that. Well, Wednesday, Tuesday. Anyway, you can listen to this on, on podcast any day of the week, any time of the day. So, yeah, just don't, well, don't, don't turn the podcast now. Just listen right now. But anyway, folks, Brad, thanks again for letting us on here and Kenny. And, oh, and today, folks, we have from all the way from Rhode Island. Last, last month we were in California, and now this month we're in Rhode Island where, wow, we're going across the country back and forth, but we got a couple of guys that are loggers. We got Bob and Bob. They're both their names are Bob, and I'll butcher up their last names if I say it. But are you guys there? Where we can uh, introduce yourselves a little bit here from Rhode Island? Yes, we are. Good, good. Bob, first Bob, Bob Thurberg. Uh, could you give the folks a little rundown about yourself and your family and that, and uh, where where you're out of there and uh, logging? Sure, sure. Yep, I live in Foster, Rhode Island. I'm, it's uh, the northern. Uh, northwestern corner of the state, uh, on the, the wooded half of the state. Um, I have uh, a lovely woman, Martha, who is uh, my everything, my bookkeeper, my life. And I have one son, Eric, who is uh, also a logger. Uh, who, he's 24. He's up in the state of Maine. Sweet. So I've been, I've been uh, self-employed for 33 years. And uh, had some really good years. We've had some challenging years, as we are right now, but I love what I do. That's great, Bob. And then we have the other Bob, Bob Barrier. I'm going to butcher this up, sorry, but Barrier, is that how you say your last name, Bob? Absolutely correct. Barrier. Barrier. Okay, could you give the folks out there a little bit of a rundown about yourself as well? Certainly. I've uh, born and brought up in Rhode Island myself in West Greenwich. I'm right in the middle of the state, but on the western side. Uh, like Bob is as well, uh, except for he's right on the right on the state line, and I'm I'm uh, 15 miles in from the state line. But anyway, I've uh, I've been in the, the timber and forest product industry for 49 years now, and uh, I've always been self-employed, except for I worked for one uh, one person for two weeks of my life, and uh, one summer back when I was 16, and I, I said that was enough. So I've been self-employed for for 49 years. We do logging, land clearing, and arboriculture work as well, and we have a, a large kiln-dried firewood operation. So, so uh, on this, so folks get understanding here a little bit. I found it so interesting that Rhode Island. So I looked up some information about the size of Rhode Island, and Rhode Island, north to south, is forty-eight miles, and east to west is thirty-seven miles, and it's twelve hundred and fourteen square miles as a state. Okay. And I always like to compare St. Louis County because that's where I live, how big St. Louis County is. And St. Louis County is 108 miles north to south and 60 miles east to west and 6,860 square miles. And if you guys could elaborate on a little bit on this here, your industry is, man, if I figure this out quickly, you're not even half the size. You're about close to half. No, you're not even half the size of St. Louis County. 
yet you produce such a huge amount dollars for that size. Could you elaborate a little bit on that for the folks out there? Yeah, we're a quarter of the size of your county. A quarter. 25%. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, guys. It's just just like, how how do you produce such volume dollar-wise on that size? Well, we had an economic study done uh, back in 2019. Uh, The forest product industry brought in $408 million a year. Uh, when you extrapolate that out to other parts of the, the forest product industry, uh, it comes up to $738 million and another 2,400 uh, jobs. Uh, so that's, that's an additional 2,400 jobs over the $408 million. Uh, so altogether, there's, there's about 3,500 jobs, 4,000 jobs that, um, that we push out. Wow. Go ahead. That's included. So... so... If I figure this out right, oh, okay, that's the whole state, correct? Now, as we talk, correct. Okay, and if you would you elaborate a little bit there? You, you, when we talk privately, the state is kind of split in two there a little bit, east versus yeah, west. The eastern, the eastern half is very urban, um, and western half is very wooded. And, and actually, the eastern half is pretty wooded in itself. It's just you know urban. Urban trees, a lot of urban forest, and, a, and an aged urban forest at that. Uh, so there's a there's a lot of um, urban tree work going on that I mean really outnumbers the loggers. Probably, uh, and I think there are four hundred and change licensed arborists in the state, whereas there are about eighty registered woods operators that are kind of loggers. And out of those 80 registered wood operators, about a quarter of that, maybe 20, are full-time guys like Bob and myself. Okay, 20. So 400 and then 20 on the size of this. So when you say arborist, if I'm sitting over, let's say in Michigan or something like that listening, could you explain that a little bit to the folks? Urban forestry work where you're using a bucket truck to, you know, take a tree down from, from up above the wires, around a house, in a neighborhood, um, but not in a forest setting. So so in that in that case, what kind of trees are you talking? Are they big, bushy, big limbs, huge old trees, oak-like? Yeah. I mean, there might be pine or, um, you know, ornamental type trees that were planted years ago that need maintenance or, or removal. Um, but they tend to be open grown trees. Yes. Okay. So they get really bushy. Go ahead. Well, still, it could be some timber value in them. As far as like saw logs or something like that, or firewood. Correct. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Where, okay. What's the process on that in, in your part of the country? Sure. So if, we, if we're a tree service taking a tree down in the yard, say it's a North Oak, for instance, and it's uh, it's saw log size over, over 16, 18 inches in, in diameter, uh, up to 40 inches in diameter, uh, as long as there's no hardware in it, obviously you'll look for stain, run a, run a, uh, a metal detector over if you have to, but obviously telltale sign on the oak is stain. And if it looks pretty decent, you set it in the yard for a few days and no stain comes out, well, you can you can sell it as a saw log and put it on a trailer and send it out. Okay. I imagine the rest becomes like a mulch or something like that, landscape? Yeah, a lot, a lot of tree services mulch a lot of the wood. So 
I'm going to touch on this for a second. A lot of the trees said, I'm not trying to bash anybody because I'm a conservative as well. However, I was a logger first. And I, I feel that the best, the best arborist is a logger to begin with. But what I mean by that is arborists don't really know how to merchandise store logs, so to speak. They don't know how to grade logs. They don't know how to uh, size logs. They'll just put them down as, as quick and as safely as they can. So a lot of times they'll be short logs and unmeasured logs. So, you know, we have to take and um, a lot of times we'll pick up wood from, from arborists and we'll have to make logs out of myself. So we'll have to cut the nubs, we'll have to trim the butts, so forth, so on, and size the logs properly and grade them properly, make them merchantable. That is heavy on one side of the state, correct? And now if we go over to the other side of the state where it's more forestry style, could we start elaborate a little bit on that, what it's really like in that part of the country? Sure. Well, the, the majority of the land is privately owned. So, I mean, there is a mixture of some state forest land. Um, the job that I'm currently on is uh, owned by Providence uh, Water Supply Board. It's, a, it's the primary reservoir that serves about 60% of the state of Rhode Island with water. And the uh, reservoir owns about 13,000 acres of forest land. So they're constantly uh, managing their forest land for, for health and um Fire protection and, and, and water, water quality protection, obviously. So, but, um, you know, the, the majority of the landscape is owned by non-industrial private forest landowners. And on an average, the, the average forest landowner owns around 30, 33 acres. Whoa. So, so and when you take, you know... The house lot, you know, portion out of a out of a thirty-three acre piece, which is usually around five acres minimum. House lot sizes are around five, four acres. Some smaller in some towns, but uh, you know, you're, you're looking at a you're looking at a twenty to twenty-five acre woodlot. So, you know, the operational cost of, of moving and you know moving your equipment in, developing a, a truck pad for the log truck and the landing, you know, takes up some some revenue out of the out of the proceeds of, of any timber sale. And when you have small woodlots, which are essentially the extension of a person's backyard, they don't want you to go in and clear cut it. They want you to go in and weed it out and, and nurture it and, you know, leave the biggest and best trees because that's what most people enjoy. Um, so you're going in and you're, you're, you're cutting lower quality timber to enhance the aesthetics of the residual forest. And so oftentimes uh, you're not paying the landowner much, and sometimes the landowner's paying you to do the work that is going to satisfy their their needs. Sure. So it's uh, well, it's guys. Uh, Kenny, we'll be back shortly with more. Giant redwood, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. 
I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. On Wednesday, I go shopping. Bob and Bob, and uh, this is the time during the show that we uh, always let the guests know that we think this was Peter that did this uh, song, that wrote this song and uh, recorded it, but uh, he loves logging. <laughs> It doesn't even sound like me, does it, guys? No, not really. <laughs> it sounds good. Did we lose Bob and Bob? No, where no, are no, you? I think okay. they're there. Okay, great. Um, real quick here. Uh, guys, um, we were talking about the size of the acreage and how what you do there. Could you tell the folks the kind of forest and the kind of trees that you have there so other people in part of the country can understand? Excuse me. What what it's uh, really like there, as far as uh, when you're doing a commercially logging job site. So the the forests are uh, mixed hardwoods, oak, uh, maple, birch. The red the red maple is our state tree. So there's there's a lot of red maple in the wetter wetter soils. Um, as the soils get higher and drier, uh, they transform into oak oak pine stands. Um, and, and from from north to south in the state, um, the further south you go, the sandier the soils get, and the higher the white pine component gets. So uh, there's white pine throughout, but the, the high quality hardwood tends to be in the northern part of the state, and the and um, the poor hardwood, scarlet oak, white oak, tends to be in the southern kind of part of the state. So it transitions quite quite fast in a, in a relatively short distance. Yes, it does. You know that, that's really something how it does it like that. Um, when 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 you um when you harvest your job sites and are are you doing clear cut style or do you do uh, where a lot of selective, a lot of trees still standing, that kind? Would you say a little bit, talk a little bit about that? Well, we're, um, m- most people want to retain their forest, so it it it's. Usually a thinning, an improvement thinning uh, at an initial cut. Um, however, we've had extensive um, gypsy moth mortality over the last few years, uh, which I can't, I shouldn't say gypsy moth because that's been now renamed fungi moth because gypsy is not politically correct. But, <laughs> but uh, anyone don't want to offend the gypsies. So Okay. So, so there, you know, there have been some clear cuts done because the forest has been that the oak stands have been annihilated by the spongy moth, um, and um, a, a lot of the landowners who are involved in a farm, forest, and open space act, which is a um, a program that incentivizes landowners to not top up their land for for development and to keep it open. Um, a lot of those landowners take part in cost-sharing programs that the Natural Resource Conservation Service funds. And some of the practices in uh, the natural resource program um, involves clear-cutting, small patch clear-cuts for wildlife habitat, uh, rabbit habitat in particular, grouse, uh, the Rough Grouse Society, um, and woodcock is another bird that's been in kind of um, scarce that we're seeing more and more of as a result of some of these wildlife enhancement cuts. Um, but the clear cuts tend to be small 
in nature on private land. Well, with the, with the exception of the large clear cuts that we're seeing now because of this influx of this so-called green energy thing, uh, solar farms. Okay, what uh, you want to elaborate a little bit on that? It sounds like uh, what the folks listening out there be thinking, okay, what's going on there on that? Could you guys talk about that a little bit? So, uh, Bob, do you yeah, want to talk yeah, about yeah, solar farms? On that. First of all, uh, we're, we're not in favor of these huge clear cuts uh, for solar farms. But by God, if they're going to put it out, we might as well bid on it. But, um, you know, there's, there's close to 3,000 acres that have been clear-cut in the last four or five years for solar. And that's that's three or 4,000, you know, 3,000 acres that we're not going to be able to properly manage anymore. I myself, a piece uh, less than half a mile from my house that, uh, that I, you know, 100 acres that I've been managing for 20 years. Last time I cut it was 2004. Last year they stripped it. And uh, there was some gorgeous, gorgeous white pine growing on it. And now it's gone. But, um, you know, it's kind of sad to see that that kind of forest being fragmented uh, for solar. Solar well, tape? Bob, Go ahead. Go I ahead, have Brad. a question. I have a question, Peter. When when I heard Bob, one of the Bobs say that uh, with the with the insertion of this new green energy, what what a. What is the green energy doing? Are they are, are they deciding that uh, they don't want to see timber cut, or are they clear cutting it to to put in these uh, wind farms and solar farms and those kind of things? What what's happening? Yeah, well, years ago, and I'm going to say probably twenty years ago, there was a 35 megawatt wood fired power plant proposed for in the area, which okay. would have provided a great low-grade market for the products that we thin out of the forest that aren't lumber quality. And there was an outcry, oh, my God, you're going to cut all the forest down to feed the wood-fired power plant. So, you know, after a lot of deliberations, that, that got shut down. It's like, you know, no way will we have that. You know, and now 20 years later, you know, we're, 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 we're in this electric uh, mindset where we're going to, you know, eliminate the use of fossil fuels and, we're gonna we're gonna go to green sources of en- energy, solar and wind, and so now, um, yeah, there's a there's a big push to create these these solar farms, and you know, in order to build a solar farm, you got to clear cut the forest. So I don't know how you call it green energy. Um, the, the, the solar panels that they're putting up are not manufactured in this country. No. And so there's, there's no real manufacturing jobs that are being created by by this green energy. And they have about a 25-year shelf life. So in 25 years, we've got 3,000 acres of material with a pretty heavy carbon footprint um, that will need to be disposed of. So I'm not sure where the green comes in. So, well, I think a lot of it is in the mind of the people that are pushing it. They they really don't understand really where that energy is going to come from or or what they're going to do with the. For example, we're seeing uh, the destruction of some of these uh, windmills where the blades just can't be, uh, you know, they can't be uh, uh, taken down and thrown away. They've got to be deposited in some storage facility somewhere. And it's a huge cost to unassemble windmills once they're put together. 
So I, I think what you're seeing is the same thing they're seeing all over the country. The, the idea of green energy sounds wonderful. The making it reality is a whole nother thing. The wood-fired power plant would would be much more green. It's, it's, it's almost it's almost carbon neutral with the scrubbers, and we retain our forests. Uh, yeah. No, it's it's just a it's a big misconception, um, and it's just it's hard to combat that mindset that what we're doing by cutting trees is actually improving and maintaining the forest. Well, guys, we have to take another quick break. We got to do our CBS News break, and then we'll come back uh, with a c- couple of great loggers from up in Rhode Island, Bob and Bob, and Peter Wood with Let the Sawdust Fly. So we'll be right back. Ah, yes, the little woodchopper's ball, Peter, <laughs> a, little, a little woodchopper's ball to bring us back. You know, it sounds uh, like listening to Bob and Bob there that they have some of the same problems going in Rhode Island that we've got going here. You've got, uh, you've got two different uh, mindsets on energy uh, kind of conflicting with each other. One uses common sense, one uses pie in the sky. So, yeah, um, yeah and, and I, I don't know that... Uh, that we're going to have too much different there, but what is? I had a question when when uh, you, when you were talking to Bob and Bob. What is most of the lumber in Rhode Island used for? Is it uh, is it milled? Is it uh, put into uh, board wood or what? What what kind of uses are is that timber being put to? Well, you took the words right out of my mouth there, Brad. So was the next question is <laughs> <laughs> to talk about uh, where's your markets, guys? Where do you take your finished product? Uh, where are the mills in your state, outstate? Could you elaborate a little bit on that? What what is the end product here coming? Sure. So. We have uh, really only one major sawmill in Rhode Island, and it's uh, James Thompson Native Lumber down in southern Rhode Island. The family mill been in business a little over 50 years, and they saw uh, pine primarily uh, for, for both the retail market, for people who are building backyards, post and beam buildings and sheds. Uh, they, they produce you know, high-grade furniture-grade pine that they sell um, you know, on the on the open market, um, as well as um, oak timbers for post and beam houses. Um, they build pallets, so hardwood for pallets, um, small like grade stakes that surveyors use, or for like tomato stakes that you might drive into your garden for your tomato plants. Little little bit of everything. Uh, uh, we you know, higher grade hardwood goes into furniture and flooring. Um, Low grade hardwood. Also goes into railroad ties. We've got, we've got um, a lot a lot of rail lines that come up through the northeast here. Uh, there's a treating plant in Connecticut that treats the, the ties. Um, that was kind of one of the one of the big things that uh, this, this industry started on was the, was the railroad tie industry. You were so, talking quite a while ago then on that one. Oh yeah, oh yes, but it's it's still active. Um, you know the the freight lines that that carry most everything that the consumer you know uses go you know goes on freight lines. High speed rail uses cement ties, so we don't really have much much play in that. But uh, 
so we've got one major mill in Rhode Island. Uh, we have some hardwood mills in eastern Connecticut, two mills. Uh, but believe it or not, most of the timber that is cut um, on my projects uh, ends up, the pine ends up in Maine, Irving Forest Products in Dixfield, Maine. And a lot of my hardwood logs, higher grade hardwood logs, go to Quebec, Canada, to um, Amex, which is uh, a, a fantastic mill to deal with. That's that's a long haul, isn't it? It it's all backhaul trucking. These these mills um, come down with product um, and go back with logs to get their truck home. The uh, truck's got to travel loaded both ways in order to make ends meet. Most of us have come back without our, our lumber that we. Uh, it was old logs, and they sorted and brought it back down here. Okay, all right. So, so if you're if you're if you didn't have the backhaul, it'd be tough to make it work, wouldn't it? When you're starting to haul raw wood products that far, yeah, it would it would be cost prohibitive. So, so you don't have a lot of um, consumption in your mill. Do you do you, do you guys have? A, you're talking about uh, biomass a little bit there. Do you have any kind of biomass plant right now in Rhode Island? We do not. We have a large mulch yard, um, Old Castle Lawn and Garden has a has a big bagging, you know, coloring distribution yard, and it, it's major. Uh, it's one of several that they have in the Northeast. Uh, problem with that market right now is that the the land clearing for the solar field is flooding the market with chip wood such that they're no longer buying roundwood from us loggers, um, just chips. And uh, you know, not, not all of us are big enough to to own a whole tree chipper and, and live floors and all to, to, to truck our chips down to the down to the mulch yard. And, and, and because they're getting inundated with this product, the price for chips is about half of what it used to be. Uh, they're getting paid to clear land. We're not. We're not getting paid typically to work for land. We're we're trying to, you know, show the landowner some compensation for their timber, or at least break even for providing a service. But when you when you have the competition from, you know, a change in land use, it, it's 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 very hard to compete with it. They're they're subsidized. You you would very much have a tough time competing with that because you're you're trying to pay money to landowner where these folks that are, I believe you call them arborists where they go and uh, remove trees and that they're being paid to do that. Granted, it is a little more slow going, but you're it sounds like a big disruption where you can actually collapse an industry because of its own weight. It's it's hurting. It's hurting some of us smaller guys that have been working to perpetuate forests for many years. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping this is a short-lived phenomenon and that something is done to curtail the amount of forest land that we are losing to solar. Isn't that something, Brad, where these are the loggers, the feet on the boots on the ground, they want to oh, manage yeah. the forest, they want to keep it a forest, and then people are bringing in this soda spot green technology. How green is that when you, when you wipe out a forest well, that produces oxygen and takes carbon out? Exactly. And it seems to me that uh, the greenest uh, production of energy would be a, mo- a biomass system where you could take the leftover byproducts of harvesting 
wood and use that as a chip or burning product. I mean, you see it even in the industry today, in the barbecuing industry, some of the biggest uh, successful barbecue operations now are done with pelletized, where they take wood pelletized chips and uh, manufacture them and and use it in their process there. You could do the same thing with biomass, um, but that doesn't seem to be catching on very much, even here in Minnesota, does it? No, no, it, it hasn't as much as it should be, and it's a big concern because, like Bob and Bob from Rhode Island, their their concern is their livelihood, just like we are, and they got they don't have a lot of room there to run around on. Um, guys, could you elaborate a little bit more on on uh, what you see in everyday life there? With you're you're so much more there's so much more traffic there in that, and you're constantly fighting an uphill battle. I think there, even with the traffic and the people in that. Uh, are folks starting to realize a little bit about what's going on with these solar panels, or are they kind of like just running blindly? No, I think I think they're starting to realize now that uh, because there are some bills uh, being being submitted into the state house uh, legislature to, to try and stop it, and uh, we actually have a, a sub uh, a sub A put in on, that we're going to be putting on one of the bills for some of the, the solar companies to be planting trees. After they after they do some clearing, not that they're ever going to plant as many, but at least they'll they'll get something on the ground. But um, what I want to do is I want to morph this into something about um, the byproduct. Is uh, what we do a lot of is kiln dried firewood. Uh, talking about the green energy, um, our kilns are wood fired, wood chip fired. Uh, so yeah. therefore, we're producing you know a lot of a lot of firewood for restaurants. You talked about um, your barbecue places. Uh, we do a lot of wood-fired pizza places and barbecue places. That's that's where all of our commercial business comes from in the firewood industry. Sure. Well, Bob and Bob, hang on to that thought. Let's come back and talk about that a little bit more after this last break. Here, we got to uh, we got to go. Uh, but uh, before we do that, uh, we're going to take a break. Yeah, let's take a break. KDAL time is 1253, 37 degrees in Eveleth, Minnesota, 37 degrees also at Duluth's Sky Harbor Airport. Brad, in the studio, we have Chris Dahlberg from the Dahlberg Law Office. Chris Dahlberg, you've been uh, kind of busy this week, and I think today is another one of those days you're going to be busy day to day. It is, and I'll be tight with the time because I know you got a great program on, Brad. So at the Dahlberg Law Office today, it's been fantastic. Uh, this morning, we had two separate estate planning signings. And uh, this afternoon on deck is another two estate planning. So count them, four uh, new uh, wow. sets of clients got their wills or trusts done today. So for listeners, call Dahlberg Law Office, 218-722-5809. Dahlberg Law Office, 218-722-5809. You could be the next ones walking out of the Dahlberg Law Office floating on air because you've taken care of your estate planning. Because you got it done and you don't have to procrastinate yeah. any longer. You I take love care it. <laughs> and you got a great program. I'll let you get on to this uh, logger program. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Peter, uh, continue the discussion. I know we're almost out of time here this morning and we're really kind of just getting into it about uh, yep. the future. It sounds like a lot of the problems they're having in Rhode Island are similar to the same problems we're having here and other parts of the country that these green energy sources are trying to come in and manipulate everything. And we haven't we haven't quite even got the infrastructure set up yet. No, it's a it's a it's starting. Folks are starting to open their eyes a little bit. Are starting to realize uh, they've been deceived a bit in getting a sold sold a bag of uh, not very good goods, so to speak. 
And I think society as a whole is starting to slowly catch it a little bit. And like Bob and Bob from Rhode Island are starting to show, talk about it as well. And they're seeing it out there as well. And uh, um, there's other things that go on that people don't know about that uh, we do have classes in that. And uh, just a real quick thing here. We're going to run out of time there, uh, Brad. And then one is uh, I want to just give a little shout out to a forester from Grand Rapids, Minnesota, Jim Berkland, who had is retired after 41 years, and that's really something. That to wow, be in the same place great. for that long is really something. And, the, and uh, if anybody's got time, on May 19th down in Hinkley, Minnesota, there's going to be a Minnesota Logging Summit where you can go tour the 49ers Training Center. It's free to go and look at it. If you want to see state-of-the-art training center for construction that, it'd be a great time to come down there and take a look at it. If you've got time, if you do. And I know we're just about out of time here, Brad, but uh, with the guys from Vermont, Bob and Bob, would you want to talk about a little bit about uh, your um, schooling that you had with insects and what's going on there? As I, as I mentioned earlier, we're, kind of, we're on the tail end of a very bad um, gyps, uh, bungee moth. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Outbreak. Um, we lost about twenty-seven thousand acres of oak, primar- primarily oak forests, uh, in the in the southern part of the state. Um, oh. the, some of the foresters are calling it um, oak collapse. Actually, like the collapse of an ecosystem. Sure. So, um, the, you know, the white pine is going to take over in those areas and all. But in the meantime, um, the the fuel load of of dead material in the forest is unbelievable, and we kind of brought this to the attention of Jack Reed when we were down, who was our senator, um, when we were down at the fly in in D.C. and, and uh, he was very receptive and listened to us, you know, because we're the guys in the woods. We have our boots on the ground, and we see what's going on, and we're concerned about the forest. Not just We're not just interested in cutting the forest down. We want to perpetuate the forest. So so we, we came back from D.C., and, um, you know, not two weeks later, we had um, a forest fire in three, three towns, Exeter, West Greenwich, I believe Hopkinton, that burned over 700 acres of forest land. So... Uh, it's kind of unfortunate, but it, it was it was an opportune time for us to mention something that we kind of forecasted. And um, you know, maybe, maybe they'll start listening to us a little bit more about you know the fact that we really do care about the forest and their future. So these folks are well, that, starting to go ahead, Brad. But I was just going to say quickly. Well, I was going to say that's the thing that people don't seem to understand is that loggers are, are the forest. Loggers care more about the forest because it's part of their job, it's part of their life, it's their history. They care more about. It. You can have a product like a bad moth come in and destroy more timber than a logger could ever log, and that's a natural source. So we have to have uh, we have to have a, a kind of a happy medium going on. And uh, Bob and Bob, I want to thank you for uh, coming in, uh, for being on the radio with us this morning. Give us a little different view from Rhode Island. Peter, another great show. Always a different uh, view from a different part of the country. And we look forward to uh, next month. You'll be back on at your regular time on the last Wednesday of the month with Let the Sawdust Fly. Thank you very much. Catch you next month, folks. We'll see you.